I'm going to ask you to turn uh, with me, if you would, to turn to Genesis uh, chapter 37. Genesis 37. Uh, it, it'll be a little bit before we get there, but we're going to spend a, a good bit of time working through some passages there in Genesis. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. Other passages that we look at this morning, I'll have those for you on the screen. Um, so you, you can follow along that way. Um, as I launch out this morning, we're going to start a new series. I don't know if it's going to be a, a one-week series. I don't think that's going to be the case. That wouldn't be a series then. Uh, but maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. It may go four weeks. We'll wait and see uh, as, as I'm preparing. And, and I, I just have felt really led of the Lord to, to spend some time on this topic that we're going to begin to get into. And there's no way to cover this topic in one week. So we're going to look at it from a lot of different aspects, almost like holding up a, a precious stone and looking at it in the light. We're going to look at this topic from a lot of different avenues. And so that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to go the next few weeks. The title of our series is Extraordinary Forgiveness. Okay, now we've We've talked in, in the past several weeks, we, we looked at extraordinary humility, the Lord's humility, and how we should be humble in that way. We looked at extraordinary faith. We looked at the faith of other believers and how we should have that type of a faith. And we want to have that kind of faith. We want to live in that kind of a faith. And so today we launch out with this series titled Extraordinary Forgiveness. And you'll understand as we go along what, what the reasoning is for that. Um, the title of today's message is a little different, though. It would be No Fences. That would be the title of today's message. Now, I, recently, recently in the past few months, we put up a, had to put up a new section of fence uh, at our house. And so when you, when you put up a fence, you know, of course, the neighbor, the neighbor had to come out and talk to me. And, and one of the things he says, which is what probably everybody says, you know, good fences make good neighbors. Right? That's what people say. Good fences make good neighbors. And that, that, that's more true, uh, that, that's very true in many cases. Very, very true. Um, that's my neighbor saying, especially when I'm the one paying for the fence. So it's between our property. So, you know, he liked, he liked that. You know, but here's the problem. Uh, when we think about fences, too often we build fences between us and someone that has offended us. And these are not good fences. Those are, those are the wrong kind of fences. And you think about most of the time when you have a fence, what's it there for? It's to keep somebody out, to keep somebody at bay. You know, you don't want somebody crossing over your pro property. I needed a fence in Georgia. I remember I had a neighbor who, uh, our, our home sat really close together, and when he cut his grass, he would come all the way to our driveway in the front of our yard. The rest of our yard wasn't cut. It was just that. So it looked bad. And there was time and time I get us to say, man, I appreciate you doing that but I really don't appreciate you doing that. Here's the line. Please don't cut my yard. You make my yard look terrible when you cut it, and mine's not cut. The rest of it's not cut. So um, a fence there would have been good, so he would have understood where he should cut his grass and not. But we, we build fences, and we build them for the wrong reasons and for bad reasons, and you know it's a metaphor for these roads and these block walls and these fences that we put up in our relationships. So I, I appreciate Aaron praying, but I want to I just stop right now and pray as we start. Lord... Thank you again for this morning, this time of worship, and uh, thank you for bringing us here. What a beautiful day. What a glorious time to be out and about, and there's nowhere else. I, I, I believe I say this with absolute 100% sincerity in my heart. There's nowhere else I'd rather be this morning than right here. And so thank you, Lord, for um, this place. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this body of believers right here in Geneva. I'm humbled, Lord, for the opportunity uh, the privilege of pastoring here. I, I know our elders share in that sentiment of the, 
the opportunity you've given us to lead in this place. And Father, I pray right now as we go into this wonderful part of the service that, Father, you would give me um, power to preach truth, uh, give me clarity in my thoughts and my speech, and allow me, Lord, boldly but humbly to proclaim what you've prepared in my heart. And Lord, for each one of us, myself first and, and obviously included in this, Lord, I pray that we'll hear the truth from the word today and we'll apply it to our lives. And Lord, that, uh, that if there are fences in our life, we'll tear those fences down. So Lord, just move and bless and work as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now when we talk about this, you've already figured out then what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the, the title of this and the subject of this is offense. Offenses, being offended. And I believe that offense may be the greatest threat to unity in the church. And we've talked about this over the last few weeks. And when you talk about humility and you talk about faith and we've talked about unity, how do we have unity in the church? There are a lot of things that go into that. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because I didn't know I would be preaching this now, but it's so good that we have already looked at humility. We've already looked at, at faith in, in prerequisite to this, coming into this, dealing with this subject of offense. And, and I believe, genuinely, this is one of the greatest threats to unity in the local church. How many times do you see splits within the church because somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody thinks they did something, and they're, they're upset or they leave, they don't want to, and, and, we, and we, so we get offended, we put up walls, and it, listen, if it's not the greatest threat to unity, it's in the top five easily, probably the top three. It's a great, great problem that we have to address, we have to look at. So how do we as believers deal with this? Now, offense. When I'm talking about offense, I'm talking about offense, being offended, getting offended, staying offended. And listen, folks, that's a trap. That is a trap. Luke 17, 1 says, then he said to the disciples, he, the Lord Jesus, then Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Now, he didn't say it's impossible that you not be offended. He says it's impossible that no offenses should come. And what he's saying right here, Jesus made it clear that it is impossible to live in this world and not have the opportunity to be offended. Now, we, we, talk, you know, we talk about people who say, well, never pray for patience. I'd say, I say absolutely pray for patience. Because people say, don't pray for patience because you're gonna, it's going to come on you. No, you know how you learn patience? You exercise patience. When you have opportunities and it gets tested, you exercise patience. You don't exercise impatience. So when these opportunities come along, and that's what they are, these are opportunities to be offended. There are things, listen, how many of you in here, raise your hand, if you've never done anything that could have offended someone else? See, I turned that on you. you went, I, you're going you're to say, have I been offended? Oh, oh. Yeah, because we've all done something. We've all said something intentionally or unintentionally. We've done something intentionally or unintentionally. We've all done something and been guilty of doing something that could be an offense to someone else. But, but let's follow along in this. It's impossible. He says it's in, impossible in this world not to have the opportunity to become offended. Yet we're amazed when it happens. We, we, we go, I'd never be offended. No one's going to hurt me. And then someone does something. We're just caught off guard. We're shocked by it. And all of a sudden now, we're, I was wronged. I was done dirty. You just don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they, how they disrespected me. How, whatever. Just, uh, those always turns real quick to a selfish view and a, and a proud view of, of what's going on with me. So it's a trap, folks. Luke 17, 1 again says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. Now that word offenses, 
That word offense is, the Greek word is scandalon, and, and it means this. I'm going to read the entire definition, then we'll, we'll explain this a little bit. But, but it starts out with, a, it's a trap, it's a trap stick. That's what that word means. That's what that word means. It's a trap stick. And, and the, the idea is a bent a sapling. Okay, so you're thinking about a stick. You're talking about a stick. It's a sapling that's bent, and we'll explain this in a moment. But other examples of this are snare. So figuratively, cause of displeasure or sin, occasion to fall, of stumbling, offense, things, a thing that offends, a stumbling block. Then when we talk about this word here, offenses, it's things that happen to us that can cause us to sin. It's not talking, the, 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 when it says here it's impossible that no offenses should come, if somebody does something that is offending me, look, that's not an offense on their part. That, that maybe it was sin, maybe it was an accident, maybe it was ignorant or whatever, but this verse is talking about us. It's talking about me. If I'm the one on the receiving end of whatever it is that's happening, it's, this, this, it's a trap, folks. It's a trap when these things happen. And let's look at that. So when you, when you look at that offenses, this trap stick, it refers to the part of a trap where the bait is attached. Now, i got three pictures I want to show you. I wish I had a, a click a thing. Do you see the yellow piece there? Do you see the yellow in the middle? Yeah. All right, so that is that would be the bait. So what you have is a sapling, and there are guys that understand how to do these things. There may be some of you nature guys out here that have actually set these kind of traps. My dad used to set up these kind of traps. He didn't pass that on to me, but my dad used to do it. But you take a sapling and you bend it a certain way and you groove it a certain way and you put everything in there just the right way and then you've got those stones stacked and then the bait is set. That is that trap stick. That is the offense. It's the place where the bait is placed. And so the bait is there. That trap stick is there. That offense could be there. It's a little loud. What happens is when we go take the bait, what happens? Yeah, so let's look at the next one. This is an actual view of someone had built it. And I don't, I don't know if you can see it here, but here's what, this would be the trap stick part. They put the bait right here. The, the, the game is going to come in. It's going to eat of that. It's going to cause its trigger, and that's going to fall on them. It's a trap. The bait, that's where the bait is placed. And that's what this scripture is telling us. Jesus says it is impossible that no offenses, this trap stick, they are there. The traps are there. It's impossible for you to get away with them. They're there. Things are going to happen and the bait is set for you. The third picture. We're all familiar with that one. So in case the other one was confusing, you get that one. So it's where the bait is set. And the mouse comes along and he triggers the trap and bang, it's over. So this, what this does, it signifies laying a trap in someone's way. Now, who do you think setting the trap? Who's laying that trap? Satan. Satan. Absolutely. Satan's laying the, the trap. So offense is a tool of Satan to bring people into captivity. That's the whole idea. 2 Timothy chapter 2, you're going to see verse 26. I'm going to read the, first, the two preceding verses there. Verse 24 says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Look, when we get offended, we're in a trap, and we get to where we can't see truth. We can't discern truth. Our eyes are off of truth. And so this is this place of, 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 of us helping correct someone and, and, and share with someone that, they may, that God may grant them repentance and they may turn from that and know the truth. In verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare. The snare, that's a trap. The snare of the devil. And um, having been, uh, having 
been taken captive by him to do his will. Look, the, 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 this is what happens. We can get trapped by these things of offense. I get offended. And, and, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, so let me just work, on, work through my notes. When, when we allow ourselves, listen, understand that right there. When we allow ourselves, no one makes me do this. It's what I do myself. When I allow myself to be offended, when we allow ourselves to be offended, we fall into a trap and we are held prisoner to do the devil's will. Now, what we need to be is like Sid the Sloth. Who knows Sid the Sloth? All right, you ever seen Ice Age cartoon? Sid the Sloth was, was in there. Sid the Sloth said, he says, oh, man, you know me. I'm too lazy to carry a grudge. <laughs> that, that ought to be us. We should never carry around a grudge. We should never be offended. We should, whatever happens, we ought to be like Sid the Sloth. Oh, yeah, they do. I'm just, I, it's just too much work. And, folks, it is. Think about it. Think about when you're angry with somebody, you're mad with somebody, you're, you've been offended and you're holding on to something. It is a, It will weigh you down. It, 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 man, be lazy. Dump it. Dump it. Get rid of it. Be done with that. Uh, most often, often, once trapped, we're usually unaware of our own captivity. We get trapped by this offense and we, then, then we get to a place we can't even see that, boy, I've been trapped. I've fallen into the trap. Um, when we're deceived, we believe we're right even though we're not. And, uh, and you'll understand this better as we go along. Because we think we're right. We have every reason to be offended. And we don't. Listen, we can be hurt, we can be wronged, we can be abused, we can be cheated, we can be embarrassed, we can be lied to or lied about, we can be betrayed, we can be hurt in a thousand ways. But, hear this, but to be offended is our own fault. And it, and it can become sin for us. And some of you are sitting there going, Preacher, you've lost your mind. It is not my fault that somebody did something to me and I'm mad about it. That's what, we gotta, that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks. So no matter the issue, all offended people can be divided up into two categories. There are two categories for offended people, and that's all of us in this room. Because at some point, we've all been offended. We've all had our feelings hurt. We've all had someone to do something against us. We've all gotten mad about something. If not, then go get on I-4 and you can experience it, okay? You'll understand that feeling, okay? Uh, the first is this, is those who have been treated unjustly. It's those who have been treated unjustly. That's the first group. The second group is those who believe they have been treated unjustly. Now, there are those who have been treated unjustly, and there are those who think they've been treated unjustly or feel like they've been treated unjustly or believe they've been treated unjustly. But the second group believe with all their hearts that they've been wronged. And, and the conclusions, they get these conclusions that they've drawn them from inaccurate information or, or it's accurate information with a, a distorted conclusion. But they've come to this place that, you know, I've been, done, I've been done wrong and the other person may not even be aware of what they're talking about. But boy, they've done this great thing to me. Either way, there's a hurt there and, and their understanding is darkened. Look, when we get hurt, when we get offended, when we get angry, our understanding, we stop seeing things real clearly. We do. It's, it's this, we start seeing red instead of seeing through, the, it ain't the blood we're looking through at that point. It's rage and we're angry and we're hurt and we're defensive and these things that come. So far too often we judge these situations by assumptions or appearance or hearsay or even gossip. And we draw these conclusions based on things that may not even be true. And so we build walls. 
That's what we do. We build these walls. Now, th- this is the book that I'm, I've, I've been reading. I've read through it once. I'm on the way through it again. And this is, this is guiding some of our, of our messages, some of the thought, because it's, it's one of the most timely and one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, it's just that good. The guy, I, I don't agree with a lot of things theologically that he says, but you eat the fish and you spit out the bones, okay? There's a lot of fish in here. There's some bones. You don't choke on the bones. But I want to read something that he says about walls. He says this, uh, he says, An offended brother or sister is harder to win than a fortified city. The strong cities had walls around them. These walls were the city's assurance of protection. They kept unwelcome inhabitants and invaders out. All entrants were screened. Those who owed taxes were not allowed in until they had paid. Those considered a threat to the city's health or safety were kept out. We, we construct walls when we are hurt to safeguard our hearts and prevent any further wounds. We become selective, denying entry to all we feel will hurt us. We filter out anyone who we think owes us anything. We withhold access until these people have paid their debts in full. That's what we do. We open our lives only to those we believe are on our side. And then we find out those we think are on our side oftentimes are carrying around a fence of themselves and they pile onto our wall. It's the bait of Satan. It's the title of the book, and that's what comes. These offenses. Matthew 24.10 says... And then many will be offended. Now, Matthew 24 here, the Lord is talking about the things in the end times. And and just to kind of give you an understanding of this verse, he's talking about things that are going to be coming, things we can look for. And one of the things he says in this end times is, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Oh, well, preacher, he's writing to, let's talk about lost people right there. Well, he's not, because if you read a few further verses later, he talks about the love of many growing cold. Well, the love, the word for love he uses there is agape, and ain't no lost person exercising agape love. Okay, So these are believers that he's talking about. This is believers who will be offended. Many will be offended, and they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Folks, I'll just tell you, I see it in the church. I'm not saying I see it in this church, though I have seen it in this church. And I've seen it in every church I've ever been in. I've seen it among Christians my whole Christian life. So we're not perfect, we're forgiven. But we got to work towards being perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we have to work towards being perfect. We have to work towards being like Christ. So we've got to understand these things that can happen to us, these things that are traps for us, and we've got to stand against that to do the right thing. But you see the progression there. Offended, betrayal, hate. Often we get offended, we hold on to the offense, we suffer in our walk with God. We, 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 you know, again, unforgiveness, when we're, when we're unforgiving... And we get bitter. You know, it's us drinking the poison wanting the other person to die. That's exactly what it is. That's what this is. We hold on to this offense, whatever it is. And then we suffer in our walk with God. Now, we'll walk around all mad and just boiling up. And we'll think, boy, they need to get their heart right with the Lord. (laughs) They? It's we. So we get offended, we hold on the fence, we suffer in our walk with God, and then we blame the person who offended us 
for our not serving, for our not being where we need to be, for our not, not doing the things that we know we should be doing, not walking close with the Lord. We blame others. We excuse ourselves and blame someone else. It's all their fault. Well, you just don't know what they did. You, you know, I just can't believe they did that to me. The whole thing. We excuse us. You know, it's the, it's the traffic thing. You know, we, we always want mercy when we're driving and the cops see us. We want mercy. But when they blow by us 20 miles an hour over the speed limit and blow by us, you know, we want justice. We want judgment of God right there. Amen? Listen, I'm bitter. I'm going to confess it. I've been, I've been battling with bitterness. I've been battling with offense. I see people run red lights all the time. They fly by me on the roads like crazy. Things that will kill people. And I had to pay a $160 ticket because I did a rolling stop out of my own neighborhood. A rolling stop. They nailed me. I have gotten over it, but I want you to... I'm not at all holding on to that. Every time I see somebody, I'm like, where are y'all at? <laughs> see, you can tell I'm over it, right? I had to take the whole driving school thing and everything, so. Uh, I really th- thought about that this week. I said, you know, I got to deal with that because I'm, I'm still talking about it. I'm still mad about it, so I got to get over it. I got I to get that, and I've been talking to the Lord about it. Lord, I don't want to be bitter about that. I love cops. I love most every cop out there. No. I'm, I'm, I'm having a little fun right now, but let's, I digress. All right. Uh, but we do. We excuse ourselves and we, and we blame somebody else for what we're doing as though they caused us to get away from God. They caused us to do this. They caused us not to be where the Lord wants us to be, whatever it is. So what I want us to do, you're in Genesis 37. We're going to go back and we're going to look at, at the life of Joseph. And we're going to move through this real quick because I want you to see, because we contrast in the story of Joseph, we contrast those who have been offended and those who think they've been offended. And we see the responses of, of those who have been offended and those who think they've been offended. And we're going to look at that and contrast that a little bit and look at how Joseph handled it versus the others. Okay, so Joseph, uh, Genesis 37.2. We'll look at a few verses right here. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flocks with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bil, uh, Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph, listen, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, he brought a bad report. Now, I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. Maybe Joseph was tattling. Maybe they weren't doing anything wrong. Maybe he was talking bad against them. Maybe he made up lies. But that would be against Joseph's character. So I don't believe that that is what was going on because that we don't see that in Joseph's life anywhere else. We believe, and what I would understand is Joseph came back and said, Dad, you're not, the, the guys are they're, they're goofing off out there. They're, you know, they're sitting on the job. They're not watching the sheep. They're not take, he, he just brought a report of what the boys were doing, his brothers. They took offense to that. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many, many colors, a coat of many colors. You know the story. Look, I, I think there's some fault to be laid at Israel's feet right here. Uh, but, I mean, don't we all love one of our kids more than the other? I mean, don't, don't we? I, I mess with Jesse and Jordan all the time. Jesse's my favorite because he's my youngest. 
Jordan's my favorite because she's the oldest, you know. Jordan's my favorite because she's the only girl. Jesse's my favorite because he's the boy. Um, Jesse's my favorite because he ain't running off getting married and, and abandoning the family right now. Uh, did I say that out loud? All right, so uh, the boys are jealous. And we see in verse 4, we see now it says, uh, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Now, there was already, they were already ticked with Joseph. They had been offended by Joseph because Joseph told on them. He told the truth of what was going on. And now they see the father's love. So now the father has offended him, because, them, these boys, because he loves Joseph more than them. Well, that's what they perceive. I don't know if it's accurate or not. He loved Joseph, and he did show favoritism. I mean, but we love all our kids. We love them all, and they're all different. And there's, but they hated Joseph. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. I mean, this is, it's a bad situation. You read that in color. Things are not good in the house. You got 12 boys, and 11 of them hate the one. There's some, they ain't good in the house. So they're offended. They're offended by his report. They're offended by Israel's favoritism of Joseph. The boys are, 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 are they're not just offended at this point. They're angry, they're bitter, and there's hatred. They hated him. Verse, 30, uh, verse 5 there in 37. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, look, and they hated him even more. They didn't like the dream. So what was the dream? Verse 6. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. So, so uh, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Uh, then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves also uh, stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. All right, you know they don't like that. They already hate him. They already hate him. And now he's had this dream that y'all are all going to bow down to me. I'm the baby, but you're going to bow to me. You're going to come around and you're going to be paying respect to me and bowing down to me. And his brother said to him, shall we indeed, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? They didn't like that a bit. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, I don't know if it was wise for Joseph to tell the dream. I mean, it might have been a little bit of that brotherly thing where he knows they hate him and he has this dream. And look, we're not talking about he had bad pizza last night and he had a weird dream. This is a vision from God. God has given him this. He knows this and he holds to this. We see he holds this his whole life. And, and maybe he just did it to get at him. I don't know. But he told him the dream. I think he did it in innocence. I think he just said, oh, listen what God did. Listen what God said to me. Verse 9 then, then he, he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Hmm, 11 stars. Oh, there's the brothers. The 11 stars. That's a very specific dream. And so the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Verse 11, and his brothers envied him. But his father kept this matter in mind. Uh, Israel, so, 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 uh, so that, that goes on there. And now the boys are out. We fast forward a little bit. The boys are out on the field again. They're out with the sheep. They're out with the flocks. And Israel sends Joseph out. He sends him out to check on them again. He, obviously, at this point, he trusts Joseph. He's going to tell the truth. He's going to tell what's going on. He sends Joseph out. Joseph goes, and then we get to 37, verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, listen what they did. They conspired against him to kill him. This, this, these 11 are Joseph's brothers. This is how far the offense has come. 
They're so mad about a, a bad report that they got from Joseph. They're so mad at dad because of his love for Joseph over them. They're so upset with this. Their hurt is so deep. And their hatred has grown for Joseph that the 11 are sitting around. Not one of them says, what are y'all talking about? This is our brother. Shut up. What are you doing? Not a one. They conspired. They conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to, the, to, to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of, of his dreams. What bitterness. You talk about, again, how it clouds our eyes. They're going to kill. They, if they love their father, they're so hurt by their father's love for Joseph. And if they love their father, how could you do this to your father? I mean, regardless of what they're doing to Joseph, not only are they want, they're conspiring to kill Joseph, but they're going to take away his son. And, and so you, you see what's going on in their hearts. Verse 23, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. They stripped him. So they grabbed him. They're, they're not being gentle with him. They stripped him of his clothing, the tunic of many colors uh, that was on him. Then they took him and cast him. They cast him. They didn't lower him. They didn't uh, slide him down. They, didn't help. they cast him. They threw him, maybe headlong even. They threw him into this pit, and the pit was empty. Uh, there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat. Now, don't let that part of that verse slide by without thinking about that. They just attacked their brother. They've plotted to kill him. That's what they're planning. They're going to kill him. They grab him. They rip his coat off of him because they're so jealous. They're so envious. They're so full of hate. And they cast him into this pit, and they sit down to eat. How hard must your heart be when you can do this kind of violence to your own brother and then sit down and eat? Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh and, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Hmm, he's got an idea. Hmm, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Now, do not mistake what he did right there as compassion. That was pure, unadulterated, selfish greed. Hey, hey, we were going to kill him, but no, no. What profit is there in killing him? I mean, after all, he is our brother. We shouldn't kill our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. Let's do that. And so they do. Pure greed right here. So... Uh, then Midian, Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So we see the story here, what's happened. Joseph has been, and again, all of this started with a, it, it seems to be a rather minor offense that not dealt with properly with the brothers grows to a pure hatred. Now, we're, we're going to see as we continue how Joseph handles these things. But he gets to Egypt, and we come to Potiphar. And, uh, you know, when, when he sold to Potiphar, Potiphar, uh, you know, God blessed Joseph. Uh, he blessed the work of his hands. He did right. Joseph did right. Everywhere we read about Joseph's life, Joseph does right. He just, he, he, he's honoring God. He's living for the Lord. He's keeping his eyes in the right place. He did right. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife sets her eyes on Joseph. He refuses her. She, she lied about him, 
And then Potiphar had Joseph thrown into Pharaoh's prison. Listen, she felt, she felt offended. Why, why was she offended? She was offended because she had been rejected. She felt she had been wronged. Offense, betrayal, hate. Yeah, I hate somebody to throw them in prison when they haven't done anything wrong. Then he's in prison. God blessed him in prison. God blessed the work of Joseph's hand. Joseph did right. He did all the right things. He rose to second in charge in the prison as a prisoner. As a prisoner, he's second in charge. I mean, the the guard is just basically letting Joseph run the prison. Again, God's blessing him. And now he interprets the dreams. And you know the story with the baker and the butler. And he interprets the dreams. And the butler, when he's released and he goes back to his position, Joseph said, please don't forget about me. Tell somebody about me. I shouldn't be here. And the butler forgets about, about him. And uh, until, until one day Pharaoh has these dreams that no one could interpret. And all of a sudden, oh, convenient. Maybe it'll profit him so he remembers Joseph then. So God put Joseph, a Jewish slave, now a Jewish prisoner, in a position as second in command over the entire country. I mean, when you think about the story, it's just... Uh, it, 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 it would make a great movie, right? I'm sure they've made movies about it. It would make a great movie. And, 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 you know, you get the biggest star of today playing Joseph, the handsome young man and all this stuff. But it's a true story, folks. This isn't some made-up, made-for-TV drama. This is real. And this is, we see God's hand in it. And we're, we're going to see that in a moment. But it, listen, his brothers were offended. They felt that they had been done wrong by Joseph, yet they were the ones doing wrong. Thus, the bad report. They were the ones doing wrong. They grew to hate him, and, and they betrayed him, and they sold him into slavery. They, uh, they did do wrong to Joseph. They did do wrong to Joseph, and yet we never hear Joseph, we never hear where Joseph uh, held to any offense for his brothers. I mean, you can't find it. I challenge you to read that and find where he is just mad and seething and unforgiving and angry with, with his brothers. We don't find it. Potiphar's wife felt that Joseph did her wrong. Well, she's the one who did wrong. I mean, Joseph rejected her. She was offended and hated him and had him thrown into prison. She was doing wrong. She was betraying her own husband. She was doing wrong, but she felt offended. And she betrayed Joseph, and she had him thrown into prison. Hatred. Uh, She did do that wrong to, to Joseph and to her husband. But again... We never hear where Joseph held to any offense. He didn't stay angry. He didn't grow bitter. He didn't have this stuff just brewing him about this. He forgave. He let it go. And he focused on the Lord. And you can follow it all the way through till we get to chapter 50. And you, you, you you can look at that and see Joseph's response to his brothers as they come down to Egypt seeking grain. And see how Joseph, from the time he saw them, his heart just broke. He loved his brothers. And he, listen, you get bitter, you get offended, you don't have that response. You, you, you were, he could have had them, when they first showed up, he could have had them thrown into prison and never seen or heard from again. That would have been the end of it. And, he, and, and you know, we'd all go, we'd go hey, hey, I, that's what I'd have done. I'd, that's what I'd have done. That'd be my man. Get rid of them boys. They were just scoundrels. It wasn't Joseph's response. Look at chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, now, Israel has died. 
And the boys felt safe as long as Israel was around because you know, the, Joseph wouldn't do anything to the boys while Israel was still alive. Now, Israel dies and the boys are scared because now dad's dead. Joseph's going to get his revenge now. He's been hiding all along. He's been hiding his feelings and now he's going to get us. And, and they send word and they're inquiring about this and they're, they're fearing for their lives. And look at Joseph's response. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. It's a great story. That's why Joseph, you know, I've shared with y'all what I went through. Now, where Joseph and I are different is I never, he never, I can't find fault in Joseph's life. And I look at mine, it doesn't take very long, and I find fault and fault and fault and fault and fault and fault and the wrongs. Uh, But Joseph's a hero because all the things that were done wrong to him, all the ways he was betrayed and hurt and, and, and all these things, and we never see him bitter or angry or upset. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He held to that vision. He knew God had a plan and he trusted that God would work it out. He just trusted the Lord. He kept his eyes on the Lord. Now, you got to see the sovereignty of God in this right here. See, you look at the journey. See, God had a plan. His plan was all along. We don't see the plan. We hear the dream that he gives Joseph. And that's all Joseph had was this dream that one day the brothers are going to bow down. God didn't reveal to him that you're going to be second in command of Egypt. He didn't reveal to him that you're going to go to prison. You're going to be for 13 years. You're going to be a slave and and then in prison. He didn't reveal that to him. He revealed to him, but he revealed enough that Joseph had something to hold on to. And he believed what God had promised him in that, in that dream. He believed God for that. He held on to that. But God has this plan. God knows what he's going to do. And his plan is that through Joseph, he's going to save the entire nation. He's going to save that family, all of them. He's going to do that. Now, Joseph's brothers couldn't derail God's plan. He couldn't. They couldn't do it. Potiphar's wife couldn't derail God's plan. And and being forgotten in prison couldn't derail God's plan in this. But I'm going to share this, and and I I believe this is accurate. If, if, If if Joseph, if Joseph gets bitter and he holds to that bitterness and he stays angry and Joseph goes, you let me get out of here. I'll kill every one of them. I'll go back. I'll slip. I'm going to get too full. I'll kill them. I'll do away with them. They'll, 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 they'll wish they had never done me wrong. If he gets bitter, he gets angry. You know what? Those others could not, they could not affect, they could not affect and get Joseph out of God's will. But I'll tell you who could affect and could get Joseph out of God's will. And that's Joseph. Joseph is the only one. He's the only person that could get Joseph out of God's will. And, and was God going to do what God had planned to do? Absolutely. And his plan was to do it through Joseph. Now, if Joseph gets out, he gets out of God's will, he's in the wrong place, then maybe God just lets him sit in prison the rest of his life. And God will go do what he planned to do, and he'll do it through somebody else in another way. He will, his will will be done. So we go back now to what I said earlier about, well, so-and-so did this, and that's why I'm not this. 
You know, if they hadn't done that, just think where I could be in life. Just think what I could do in life. They think what, I, just think how much more spiritual I could be or how much I could be serving. But I can't because of what they did. No. Listen, the only person that can get you out of God's will is you. You're the only one. You're the only one hindering yourself. You're the only one who can hinder yourself. Nobody else, regardless of what they do to you, can hinder God's will in your life. It does not matter what happens to you. What you do with what happens to you is all on you. If somebody does something wrong, how you respond, how you act, that's all on you. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can absolutely control how you respond to what happens to you. Now, when you look at the story of Joseph... And we see his brothers betray him. He forgives. You see, he's sold into slavery. He forgives. Potiphar's wife lies about him. He's wrongfully... There is no trial. He's just thrown into prison. He's wronged. Was Joseph wronged? Everybody else felt like they had been done dirty. Joseph had been wronged. He had been done dirty. All the others felt like they've done this to me. I'm offended. And you see their response. Joseph truly had been hurt. Joseph had been done wrong. And we don't see him holding on to that. How? He forgave. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't, he didn't become offended and hang on to that and latch on to that. And he didn't fall into the trap in, of Satan and take the bait of Satan right there. He, he forgives. And, you know, we might call this extraordinary forgiveness. But, but I want to say this, that we as Christians, forgiveness ought to be normal. There should, there should be no extraordinary when it comes to forgiveness. It ought to just pl- be plain old, everyday, ordinary forgiveness. Because it ought to be so free and so quick for what we do as believers is to forgive. And when we forgive, you know what? You don't take the bait. You don't get in the trap. You don't get snared. You don't get caught up in it. You don't get taken captive by the enemy. So don't build fences through a fence. And the challenge this morning is to tear those down, to tear those fences down, to forgive, to let it go. Don't hold on to whatever it is. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I think about about Jericho and how they they prayed and they marched around Jericho for seven days and the Lord Lord tore the walls down. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe maybe you can give it to God this morning. Maybe you need to pray for seven days. Maybe you're going to need to pray for seven weeks. But you need to pray and you need to give it to God and let God tear down the wall. Whatever wall you've built up, whatever offense has caused this sin in your own life, let God tear it down. I think about Reagan when he stood in, in, uh, did you think of that? You started laughing, I figured you thought of that, and I've I've got it here. When Reagan stood there in in Berlin and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's the challenge to us this morning, folks. If there's a wall that we have built up because of offense, we need to tear it down. We need to forgive. Well, they they haven't apologized. Well, do they even know what they've done? Do they even have a clue? Probably not. They may. Well, they haven't, they haven't asked me for forgiveness yet. I'm sorry. Scripture tells me to forgive. 
Scripture tells me if I offend you, and I know I've offended you, my responsibility is to come and to make it right. Your responsibility if I've offended you is for you to come to me and, 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 and forgive and, and let's make it right. So if I've been offended or I offend, if we do what the Scriptures say, we're moving toward each other, we don't have problems. But we hold on to these things. So Mr. Christian and Miss Christian, tear down that wall this morning. No fences. There's nothing that will tear a church apart quicker than these offenses. But how can I forgive? Well, it's real easy. Just think about what Jesus did for you. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin I'll ever commit, Christ has paid for. He went to the cross, innocent, perfect, Son of God, God in flesh. He came to this earth, born of a virgin, and He went to that cross, was nailed to that cross, and upon Him was placed all of my sin. When I think of it that way, it makes it real easy to forgive others. When I think about the forgiveness that God has offered me. He, Christ died for our sin. He was buried and He rose again. And folks, today He offers you that same forgiveness. Maybe this morning you've never trusted Christ. Pastor Aaron, you can come. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up. I should keep going. It's only 1020 in Alabama, so... <laughs> it's still early. I should, I should keep going, but... Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never received that forgiveness. You've never confessed yourself a sinner before Almighty God, turned from your sin and, and, and called on the name of the Lord to forgive you of your sin. And if you've never done that, today's the day. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised three minutes from now. You're not promised another breath. Today would be the day to deal with that. So if you know this morning, and, and you know, I don't have to convince you, you know this morning, your heart's pounding. Yeah, I haven't done that. I've not trusted Christ. I've not repented of my sin. I've not confessed myself a sinner. I've not, not acknowledged that. I've not taken responsibility for that, and I've not come to the Lord for forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I plead with you, come down here. Don't sit in your pew and act like it, you can just deal with it. Step out of there. Come down here and let somebody, let somebody take the Scriptures and introduce you to Christ this morning. But Christian, for you this morning... Do you have a wall? Do you have a little wall or a big wall? Or do you have a lot of walls? If you've got some walls built, if you've got some fences built, if you've got something that you're holding on to offense-wise, I plead with you this morning, don't, don't take it with you out of here. Tear down, tear down the wall. If you'll stand with us, we'll, we'll have a word of prayer. And Pastor Aaron will lead us as we... Going this time of invitation, the invitation is simple. If you need to know the Lord Jesus, I invite you to come forward. This altar that, again, I just share with you, this is an altar. It's a place to come. This is a safe place, folks. This is a place for you to come and cast your burden on the Lord. It's a place to come and get on your face before God. And do not be concerned with anybody else in this room but yourself and what God is doing, what He is speaking to you. Be obedient to what He tells you to do this morning. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll take the feeble message spoken by feeble lips and use it this morning in our hearts. 
Lord, it's impossible to go through this life and, and not have offenses come. You shared that with us. But we don't have to be offended. We don't have to stay offended. We don't have to be hurt and hold on to the hurt. We can let it go. We can forgive. And it is freeing for us. Lord, we don't want to be in this trap that Satan has set. We don't want to be his, his slave. We don't want to be a, a captive of his to be, to be held to do his will because, because Lord, we've, we're holding on to this, this, these, these things that are now sin in our life. And we take something that may have been or we thought was something against us. And now it becomes sin in our own life. God, I pray today would be a day of brokenness, a day of repentance, a day of confession, a day of forgiving, a day of freedom. Lord God, move among us. Have your will and way this morning in Jesus' name.